Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. The New Yorker magazine, in its issue of December 2, 2019, has a profile of a fellow named Roger McNamee. He was a bit of a legend in Silicon Valley circles for having a very keen instinct about which companies were going to be successful tech startups. He got in very early investing in companies like Amazon and Facebook before they went public and did very well as a venture capitalist as a result. Music aficionados, by the way, might know him by another name, Chubby Wombat, the name he sometimes uses as a rock guitarist touring and performing as many as 50 shows a year. These days, though, he's touring for another reason. He is mightily concerned about the negative effects that social media, particularly Facebook, are having on the country. In fact, he wrote a book published in 2019 entitled, quote, Zucked, Waking Up to the Facebook Catastrophe, end quote. Pretty strong words for a guy who made a pile from Facebook and who counted the founders of Facebook among his friends. The catastrophe he refers to includes things like past and probably current interference in our elections by foreign powers, using facial recognition software to identify people on Facebook and those who aren't on Facebook without any notice to or permission from them, building dossiers on people not only who use Facebook, but also those who don't, and on and on. And then there's Google, which vacuums up huge amounts of data about people. Some of those people use Google products that they don't pay for, like Google Search or Google Docs and so forth. Most people are aware of that kind of data collection. Many are not so aware of the data collection going on every minute if they use an Android phone. Brian Barth, the author of the New Yorker article, described the presentation he attended with McNamee, in which a vice president of Oracle Corporation took apart an Android phone to show how it collects data of a very precise and very granular sort. As Barth describes, quote, Androids are commonly equipped with a gyroscope, an accelerometer, and a magnetic field detector. Their sensors can calculate heart rate and count steps. This constant flow of information allows your phone to track whether you're sleeping or awake, whether you're driving, walking, jogging, or biking, whether you're in the Starbucks on the ground floor or the lawyer's office on the 10th floor, end quote. No wonder that Eric Schmidt, the former chairman of Google who was brought in to provide, quote, adult supervision to its young founders, once commented that, quote, we can more or less guess what you're thinking about, end quote. There is, of course, much more in the article, but you get the idea. A person who was a major enthusiast and provider of capital to several of Silicon Valley's biggest tech successes is now saying, whoa, high-tech profiling has gotten out of hand and something has to be done, and now. Another venture capitalist is also raising his hand about what he sees as a very big problem that needs to be addressed, and soon. Kai-Fu Lee recently wrote a book that's trying to get the attention of leaders around the world. It's entitled, quote, AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order, end quote. 
Born in Taiwan, Mr. Lee came to the U.S. with his family as a child, went to school here, wound up studying artificial intelligence at Carnegie Mellon University, and then worked for companies like Microsoft, SGI, Apple, and ultimately served as head of Google China before becoming the CEO of a large investment firm that focuses on Chinese high-tech companies. His concern is focused on the effect that AI, or artificial intelligence, and particularly machine learning, is going to have on society in the surprisingly near future. The upcoming disruption that AI is going to foment, not only in this country, but in much of the rest of the world as well, is going to change economic and social relations in very significant ways. Ways that, incidentally, almost no presidential political candidates of either party, with possibly the limited exception of Andrew Yang, are talking about at all today. AI is already all around us in all sorts of ways that most of us are not yet aware of. We see some of the flashy cases. Four states are licensing self-driving cars on public roads, for example. But most of us don't know that some long-haul truck lines are currently using driverless trucks to haul freight for hundreds or even thousands of miles on a daily basis. Just the replacement of delivery and cab drivers by AI will eliminate millions of jobs in the U.S. And that is just the tip of the iceberg. Any job position that can be described in a set of processes and procedures will be subject to replacement by AI. And those jobs range from things like telemarketers to paralegals all the way up to radiologists. While there's no way to determine at this point exactly which jobs will be replaced by AI and in what time frame, many experts, including Kai-Fu Lee, see 40 to 50% of today's jobs being replaced over the next decade or two. And they see that replacement happening much sooner than most people, including most politicians, can imagine. Think about that. What are those people going to do if the jobs they hold disappear, and the jobs they might try to look for as a substitute have disappeared as well? The small number of people who can develop AI algorithms or bring large amounts of capital to the table will do very well indeed, but not so the other 99 plus percent of the population. That's already apparent in this country, and the enormous economic inequality that already exists today will only get worse in an AI-driven world. And in a country in which the first question many people ask when meeting a stranger at a party is, what kind of work do you do? The loss of work and the identity that goes with it today can cause a disruption in our personal identities and even to our belief of what it means to be human. Two tech insiders, two people who've done very well as venture capitalists in our tech-dominated world, two people now very concerned about what the effects of what they helped to bring about will turn out to be. They deserve our attention because we're all living, and will be living, for better or worse, in a world becoming more and more fashioned by technology. The big and very important question is, who will decide how that world is fashioned. We'll join in pondering that question and its offshoots right here on future editions 
of Notes from the Electronic Cottage.